Hey, everybody. It's Trevor Chambers with Old Raleigh Financial Group here. And let me turn around and look. Yes, actually sunny Raleigh, North Carolina. And, and Mike, how you doing today? I'm doing great. How about yourself, Trevor? Good, man. Good. Hey, before I introduce you, I got a big, big emotional question for you. Uh, I, I just had sushi at a place down the street called uh, Waraji and the crew here at Old Raleigh. We love that place. Uh, where do you, I know you're out in North Dakota. Where do you like to go to get lunch? Like, I don't know if you went today, but would you, where do you like to go? Well, there's this place off of Broadway uh, owned by Angie and Shannon, a uh, great little pizza joint called Sammy's nice. Pizza. Yes. And a uh, very, very family friendly place that uh, I like to take the family or even sneak out and just grab a, nice. a meal by myself. Well, I always like to give a shout out to local restaurants. So Sammy's it is. And we'll talk about where you're from a little bit. And, um, but I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm feeling the sushi right now. So, uh, but anyway, once again, we are adding another episode, another song, if you will, to our podcast called a soundtrack to a financial advisor's life. And today we're recording, I like to say kind of a bass track. In this case, the bass track is, uh, the basis of our economy, the world economy, really in energy. The story of energy is as important as ever. And today, my hope is we dig deeper. We pull back the curtains and take another level in understanding what's going on in that world. Um, I'd like to introduce my guest, Mike Morey. He is a, uh, he's with Viking, he's a CIO, actually Chief Investment Officer for Viking Fund Management out in North Dakota. And I'm going to let you, I can babble through, you know, who you are and what that, but Rest assured, people, this guy has put his 10,000 hours in, and he is what we call a master, I would say, in information about um, the energy markets. So, Mike, Maury, very nice to have you here. Thanks for calling. I haven't talked to many people from North Dakota lately. So, how's things out there, brother? They are wonderful. We're actually going through quite a hot spell here uh, lately. Very abnormal temperatures for uh, uh, this time of year here in North Dakota. Okay. But, uh, Weather's been great. Um, you know, the markets have been acting up uh, pretty, pretty decent holding in there. And, uh, yeah. You know, just trying to trying to keep a, you know, a, a balanced life. Yeah. All right. Well, I, um, I want to, I really want to thank you for um, doing this because um, I just think, you know, one of the areas I've been f uh, researching when it comes to this podcast is energy. It's just so, so important. And, um, and obviously lately, I mean, there's been some interesting things going on over in uh, Britain, um, when it comes to energy, I don't know if you have any comments on that, but, um, tell me about, tell me a brief background on you, what, wh who you with, what you do, and, um, and then we'll jump into some questions. Yes, I, um, uh, married with, uh, three kids, um, nice. graduated from Monet State University, uh, that's in North Dakota as well. Now, where is that uh, North Dakota in relationship to, like, give me a, let's get a, you know, where are we at out there? It'd be North Central. Just North Central, the okay. Capital, uh, God, it's got to be just beautiful out there. It really has to be. It's going to be incredible. Yes, it yeah. is. Yeah, awesome. And and tell me about um, Viking Fund Management. Uh, we are, yes, we are a, uh, a unique uh, mutual fund company, uh, you know, that, has different mutual funds, you know, whether it's a municipal bond fund uh, attached to a single state. Uh, we have a high income fund that is sub-advised by JP Morgan that has an excellent track record. Uh, we have our integrity dividend harvest fund that is, uh, you know, our kind of a safety uh, dividend uh, equity approach 
that allows um, you know our clients to invest in the equity side of the market without taking on excessive risk, all while getting a, a far better uh, dividend yield than you're going to get from you know either bonds or the S&P 500. Uh, we have an integrity ESG growth and income fund that uh, obviously focuses on sustainability. Uh, the portfolio team there, Trey Wellstead and Josh Larson, have done an incredible job uh, managing uh, that particular portfolio. Um, and the fund that we're, I guess, going to be overlapping a little bit with the topic today is our Integrity Mid-North American Resources Fund, mm-hmm. uh, which you know focuses on U.S. shale as well as you know the all the all of the above approach uh, when it comes to energy. Um, so including some renewable uh, exposure there as well. I just, I just want to, um, so yeah, let's focus on that a little, that area for sure. Um, and I kind of, before we started, I said, you know, you guys are in North Dakota. Like there's gotta be some advantage of being where you are given that focus of research that you guys do. Like, can you talk yeah. about that a little bit? Cause I think that's yeah. kind of interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, the fund was, I mean, absolutely developed by, uh, you know, a former portfolio manager, Bob Wallstead, on the idea of what was occurring here in the Bakken. It was an absolute boom. And uh, we, we created this fund as an investment opportunity for um, share, our shareholders, you know, to partake in that uh, massive growth uh, that we, we were witnessing in the Bakken. You know, so when I uh, started as a research analyst for this fund back in 2010, you know, we would frequent uh, the the field. We would head out into the Bakken and talk with companies and see what's going on. And, you know, we feel, truly feel it, uh, you know, gave us uh, an upper hand and an advantage uh, when investing in, in uh, energy. Yeah, I would imagine, uh, especially compared to, you know, everybody else in the country, um, especially on the coast. So that that's, that's fabulous. It sounds like it's in your blood. Um, I know that you wanted to talk about, um, I, I would like to go back to the shale thing, but first, I know one area you wanted to talk about was, um, the exploration and production business model, the EMP companies, business models. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So there has been a remarkable evolution, uh, within exploration and production companies, how they are running their business. So when we go back to the early days of shale, um, you know, call it circa 2009 through 2014, um, it was kind of a grow at all cost kind of a business model that they were taking and their mm-hmm. shareholders were loving it. I mean, they were seeking out the exploration production companies with the, you know, the best wells um, and, and the highest growth rates and then they were getting rewarded via their share price. What occurred, though, is there was a prolonged period of overinvestment that caused the global supply inventories to swell, uh, be, be way oversupplied. And that's what caused the uh, significant pullback in crude oil prices, um, you know, back in what was it 2014, where right. OPEC elected not to cut. And uh, we saw a, a significant uh, pullback in, in crude oil prices, which in a sense, sent a message to these exploration production companies that, um, uh, in a sense, burned investors multiple times in a row to change the way that they um, run their business. So what has happened is these exploration production companies have gone to a much more shareholder-friendly uh, focused approach uh, where instead of like back in the day, spending 100 plus percent of their free cash flow 
know, back into their drilling programs, you know, they're now, um, you know, maybe spending 40 to 50% of their free cash flow and returning the remainder to their shareholders. And this Got is, it. uh, it, it's definitely a, a better approach. They are no longer destroying capital, they're creating capital. Investors are, um, you know, kind of forcing it upon them and, and actually these companies are getting rewarded. Um, so a good example would be Devon Energy. They were the first mover in uh, what I'd call the variable dividend approach, you know, where they highlighted they're going to maintain their, um, you know, their traditional dividend, but they're also going to implement a variable annual dividend, which actually they're paying on a quarterly basis of 50% of their free cash flow. You know, so, you know, looking at this year, that, that could, you know, equate to a, you know, possibly six, 7% dividend yield by the end of this year and possible wow. double digit, uh, double digit uh, dividend yield by uh, next year. Hmm. And other, com- other companies like Pioneer Natural Resources and ConocoPhillips have followed suit. So, you know, this is, this is a very powerful move because it provides stability to production, you know, as well as um, capital being returned to shareholders. Kind of the perfect storm. It's kind of where yeah. you've been waiting. This is why you've been so it's maturing. It's a maturing situation now, and it's getting a little bit more or less, you know, wild west, if you will. Absolutely, and yeah. you know, on a positive front, you know, this uh, it, it's kind of like they're in a prove it moment, and I think they're proving it right now, as crude oil prices have climbed dramatically, but their capital budgets have remained stagnant. So that's mm-hmm. telling me they're not chasing crude oil prices anymore. They're committed to this capital discipline. And uh, that's going to draw back investors and, and allow further upside for their um, stocks. Um, so let's kind of stay on the subject of um, stocks. Like I, I'm starting to get an impression of what you guys look for, but why do you guys own the companies you do own and and um, in, in the American Resources Fund, like what's your what's your discipline? What's your what are you looking for? And um, and also, I, I you know, do you actually own any of the actual commodities? Or do you have a commodity sleeve in that mix, or is it 100 percent just companies equities in in the fund? Yeah, 100 percent equities in the okay. fund. You know, yep. And when it comes to investing, you know, in the energy sector, you know, we like to keep you know, our portfolio well diversified across different industries within the energy sector. Uh, and what we do is we're trying to seek out companies that we consider best in class within their respective industry. You know, so our portfolio is predominant, it predominantly owns conventional en- energy, but we have begun to diversify probably over about the last year and a half, two years into uh, some renewable energy stocks. And we mm-hmm. feel this is appropriate um, given that, you know, the United States is on the verge of a decade long path to electrification and the growth prospects within renewables are going to be fairly robust. But by owning, uh, at the same time, looking back at conventional energy, the backdrop for conventional energy right now is looking very promising. You know, as uh, you know, it appears as if we're you know, kind of going through a period of time where the market's trying to absorb the OPEC barrels that were cut during the pandemic, but um, you know, once that's absorbed, the, the, the capital budgets that we've seen across the world, um, you know, are, are, are far too light uh, to meet the longer dated demand growth figures of, of the world. Kind of went on a little bit of a tangent there, but kind of getting yeah. back to getting back to our, uh, 
portfolio in, in what we invest in. You know, right now our, our, our favorite industry is uh, exploration production companies um, based off of, you know, what we've discussed with their capital discipline and their strong free cash flow. But we do also like refiners as well. Um, mm. Right now they're benefiting. They, they, they've seen some pretty uh, very good performance recently uh, on the heels of uh, the mandates uh, set forth by the renewable fuel standards. Uh, they reduce the level of blending required. You know, which mm. is uh, certainly going to help their margins. Mm. Uh, on the on the EMP front, I kind of highlighted Devon Energy. Uh, you know, and uh, Pioneer and Conical Phillips. One thing we like about Conical Phillips is they're taking a little bit different approach than Devon Energy. Instead of having a variable dividend, um, they're they're planning to um, pay out thirty percent of their cash flow from operations, which um, you know, is a little different than free cash flow because it comes before a couple line items, but uh, it, mm. it, it does it does kind of true up capital discipline even more uh, in the mm. fact that it is it is it is coming directly out of the cash flow from operations, and they set mm. that at 30 percent uh, payout is what they're going to come in at and likely possibly take that to forty percent. I was just on a call with them last week, and you know that's kind of what they were highlighting. You know, but their dividend approach is strictly fixed, not variable. And, uh, you know, I think that's much more sustainable uh, in, the, in the longer term. Nice. And by the way, Mike, I like when you go on tangents. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, can't, I, can't I like it. I like it because you, you're an MG nerd out. You're out there. You know what I mean? I mean, like I said, you, I love it. It's, it's, no, it's very cool. Well, it sounds yeah. like yeah, essentially um, you sound like a classical investor in the sense that you love good stewardship of funds. I mean, it's like when you have cash coming into the business, what are we doing with it? When is it, you have investment coming to it? What are we doing? And are we doing, are we good stewards of it? And that's, that's a critical piece. Yeah. It sounds like you're looking for that. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And yep. that's kind of part of the reason why, you know, when, when we're constructing this portfolio, having that healthy balance between conventional energy and renewable, you know, kind of provides a different flair for our portfolio that you're not going to see in a lot of energy portfolios that are strictly conventional, you know, but on the conventional front, we're looking for, you know, companies with high ESG standards and you can find that in their pitch books and their, uh, you know, in the quarterly and uh, earnings calls that they, that they hold, you can really truly get a sense for, you know, what these guys are, are doing to improve, um, you know, their carbon footprint, you know, whether it's carbon capture and storage, um, you know, more emphasis on reducing flaring, use of electric flat frack fleets, um, carbon offset projects such as windmills and forest, forest uh, forestation. Um, you know, these are all things that uh, are, are going to allow them to, you know, be uh, you know, better stewards of the environment. Yeah. So that kind of segues me perfect. Um, I was going through your site and it's, and there's some great information, man, you know, um, especially about our energy, our, the U.S. energy production and like shale. And I'd love for you to talk about it. you got a great slide. And I think if I can, um, compl uh, compliance allowing, um, and if you guys are cool with it, I might even link to it, um, you know, within the with, within this post when it gets up. Um, but uh, what? tell me about shale, because I, I think it's something that people uh, are underappreciating. And there's, a, and there's some misinformation about, like, we we are a massive energy producer and like i think in 2018 like we became a net largest exporter of energy or something like that but this is your world so you what i guess what i'm trying to ask here is big macro question we we've got the shale revolution 
tell me about it from your perspective and where does it help the U.S. line up in the world from a strategic point of view? Right. So prior to the shale revolution, the United States was uh, in a perpetual decline of uh, oil production as well as natural gas too. You know, so when the shale revolution first got kicked off, it was predominantly targeting natural gas. You know, and that what happened, it, it basically caused a natural gas prices in the United States to go from double digits, well into the double digits to sub $3. You know, granted, we're seeing a little bit of a bump here recently, uh, but that's just because of a, a demand uptick, primarily due, right. to, due, due, due to weather. But right. it, it created, you know, much more affordable uh, natural gas, and we saw a lot of coal to natural gas switching. You know, so it's positive for the consumers and it's positive for the environment because gas is significantly less, um, you know, uh, has a significantly less uh, carbon footprint than, than coal. Uh, so that's, you know, the initial benefit. Um, what happened then is a couple operators, EOG and Continental Resources, you know, decided they were going to utilize the, the technique of fracking, which includes horizontal drill, the combination of horizontal drilling and hydraulic fracturing, they were going to do that in the Bakken. And it just set off a frenzy of land acquisitions um, because of, because of the, the huge success. You know, so what hydraulic fracturing has done for our country is um, significantly reduced the strain on the consumer and made our country much more energy independent. Um, you know, our natural gas production is absolutely skyrocketed over the last 15 years and same with the oil uh, production you know from 2009 to you know 2016 we added millions and millions of barrels to our production which ultimately got us to uh you know a net exporter of uh, energy can i ask you a question about the, sh the actual oil um coming out of the shale is that pretty heavily processed like what what's what, what's its cost structure versus say something coming out of russia versus something coming out of um the middle east because i understand the middle east is the purest of oil it requires the least refinement to actually then be allowed into your tank is that true that's, I, don't know if that's, uh, I would say yeah. it's opposite um you oh know, okay as, yeah so as opex production um you know continues to mature they're um, oil uh, declines, uh, the specific gravity of the oil uh, continues to decline and the sulfur content continues to increase, which makes the oil mm. technically dirtier. Uh, right. what, okay. what we get from shale is high specific gravity oil that mm. is very, very low sulfur, which is much easier to process and refine. Oh. Um, it, it's also being on the lighter side, uh, you know, that once it goes to the refiner, you get a higher gasoline and uh, diesel cut than, well, I guess more predominantly jet fuel and gasoline cut than you're going to get from uh, heavier uh, barrels of oil. You know, so from that standpoint, it's kind of a pro, it's kind of a con because some refiners do like the heavier oil because of uh, diesel demand has been, you know, holding up fairly strong compared to uh, gasoline demand here recently due to the pandemic. But, uh, you know, overall, um, shale barrels are highly desirable. Interesting. Okay. I thought, okay. So it's, it's, it's pretty relatively speaking. It's not the most, it's kind of cheap to, to, to turn shale into gas that you can put in your car. Is that what you're saying? I mean, it's. Um, well, 
it, it goes through the standard refining process, you know, and it okay. depends on, you know, what the, the affordability, you know, on the consumer front is going to depend on, you know, where crude oil prices are and sure. where uh, the refining crack spreads are running. Got it. So, okay. All right, cool. I think I appreciate that, that clarity because um, I've, I've often wondered that, you know, I've heard different things. So, uh, all right, that's awesome. And again, a guy like you would know, you know, um, so let me ask you uh, something. We talked, you just mentioned um, electrification. Um, you think it's going to take 10 years? I think it's going to longer than that, don't you think? Uh, yeah. I mean, simply put, the the policies in place towards electrification have to be balanced. We mm-hmm. can't allow runaway energy prices. Uh, we're seeing it over in Europe, you know, and their policies are direct cause of that. Yeah, um, I want to talk so about that a little bit. Yeah, so, sorry, go ahead. So yeah, so I mean, they're dealing with, um, you know, some outages of their uh, North Sea windmills, uh, you know, as well as, uh, you know, weather issues that have impacted demand. Uh, it's looking like they're going to enter this year uh, about 17 to 20 percent underneath five-year averages of natural gas which is a very bad setup and that's why we've seen mm-hmm. you know their natural gas prices skyrocket at one point into the 30s uh, per uh, mcf so the policies have to be balanced uh, you know and, and what it's gonna what it's gonna allow you know is basically conventional's you know, we'll be filling the void as technology continues to improve and allow renewables to be more competitive. So I think the current administration and, uh, you know, Democrats will continue to push aggressively uh, towards a faster pace of electrification. But I I, I certainly think there needs to be balance. And if they push too far and energy prices go up, the consumers are going to tell them to pump the brakes because, um, you know, one one thing is for sure, higher energy prices affect the lower and middle class far more than they do oh, yeah. the upper class. Like, like I interviewed a guy um, a couple months, well, a month, a half ago, guy from London. He's a business strategist. He consults, you know, big publicly traded companies, whatever. And he talks about ESG and he talked, you know, this guy, but um, it's funny I'm actually reached out to him just this morning because teeing up this podcast because um, he was kind of calling what was going to happen. Like this whole issue that, that England is having, he called it like he's, this was coming. He knew this was coming. You know what I mean? And, and he's, he's saying, you know, it's, it, it really strikes a economic disadvantage. We're, we're really economically disadvantaged over here because of our, the way things are set up. So, I mean, how do they get out of that? I mean, other than just CapEx, a ton of CapEx into energy, right? London has, right? I mean. Yeah, perhaps put a little bit of revisions on their policies in place, um, you know, okay. such as the car- carbon tax. Um, you know, when when it starts weighing on the consumer, uh, you know, that that's a really bad thing for your economy. And yeah. high natural gas prices, high energy prices are just a start there. You know, if they are sustained higher, everything else gets more expensive. You know, yeah. and, and then you have runaway inflation that it makes it even harder to control. You know, so yeah. making exceptions for certain policies is a certain, certainly one way uh, they can a- address the issue at hand right now. We're very lucky in this country to have that shell. Yes, we are. Which it's just like people just don't get it. I mean, it's just like 
it's it's unreal that we uh and uh, you know and the, and the ingenuity of the american engineers i mean it's just you know to 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 push it over what's your thoughts on batteries um i mean i you know i pose the question um where are we going to get all the materials to put in these batteries like there seems to be there's going to be a lot of investment in trying to find all the stuff that's going to batteries as well as technical innovations to I mean, do you have any thoughts on that whole thing? Right. So, you know, on the United States fronts, we're certainly not nearly as blessed when it comes to rare earth metals than uh, we are on, on the conventional side. However, ex exploration, uh, you know, is underway and they are finding uh, rare earth mines, you know, across the country. Um, you know, it's yet to determine the economic feasibility of them. But as it sits right now, most of the rare earth metals are uh, over in Asia. Yeah. So, you know, that's going to be important for the United States to, you know, have legitimate access to rare earth metals so they are competitive on that front, you know, because the world is going that direction. You know, so just as we want to be energy independent on the conventional side, we're going to want to have the same you know, thing in place when it comes to rare earth metals. You know, as far as your question on batteries, um, ultimately, since the lithium ion batteries have not come a long ways. They have seen some modest improvements, but uh, I think it's going to take a uh, another technological breakthrough in order for you know EVs and battery adoption to um, you know truly, truly uh, start to take market share. Yeah, I guess uh, was it Ford just put like six or seven billion into batteries, and I don't know what I don't know the details of that deal, but um, that's a lot of yeah, money. They I, I don't have the exact figure, but they made their largest investment ever as a company, um, you know, for batteries and electric vehicle manufacturing. You know, I, I just have to wonder, like, you, you got these batteries, right? I mean, like, to my point, going back to, like, how we're going to source all this stuff. I mean, I have to step back and say to myself, are batteries actually, like, net actually worse from the environment? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I mean, obviously we got to cut greenhouse gases. I understand that, but those batteries are not, I mean, there's a lot of bad stuff that happens between getting the stuff out of the earth, making it, disposing of it. You know, I just, I don't know. I wonder, I wonder. I heard. I would agree with you on that, that batteries are, are far from clean, you know, but they are a step in the right direction. Yeah. Um, and technology will continue to improve and help lower the carbon footprint of the extraction of the uh, metals and minerals uh, that are required for batteries. Uh, also, recycling is coming a long ways, which will also, I mean, add additional reduction to the carbon footprint uh, of the extraction front, as if you recycle, you no longer have to extract additional ones. But that is uh, yet to be determined, the, the true feasibility of, of recycling and reuse. I was talking to another uh, a portfolio manager, a colleague of yours out there in portfolio management world, and, and, he's, and his he also uh, is an energy guy, or um, at least part of it. What he looks at is energy, kind of like you. And uh, he, uh, he said, you know, don't get. He said, don't discount hydrogen as a potential uh, fuel for moving people around in cars. So who knows, you know? I think, but it's going to be interesting to watch over the next twenty or thirty years because I think that's what it plays out. It's a it's a decades long thing. It's never going to end. Um, yeah. I Hydrogen yeah. is it's certainly going to be 
you know, the fuel of the future, but right now the economics of it are, they're, it's yeah. far too, far too expensive. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, all right. Well, that's cool. That was great, man. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. That was a very, that was a very a little bit wonky discussion we went in there right there about all that stuff. So, um, which I like, do you, do you have, what's your um, thoughts on um, the energy sectors? You got touched on this earlier, but the energy sector's response to environmental policy, specific to global warming. Um, I mean, you know, not everybody agrees that global warming is going on. And to be honest with you, I don't know. I mean, but yes. But how do you think, is it genuine? And I, it sounds like it is. I mean, they're putting their money where their mouth is. And, you know, what do you, what do you see this going? Is, yeah. Is, yeah. So that I'd lump that into ESG, you know, on the, on the east side, the environmental side. It is, it is not just important it's a necessity for these energy companies to adopt ESG standards, um, you know, to, to lower their carbon footprint, to become, you know, better citizens. And uh, it's happening. It, it is very tough to find an energy company that mentioned ESG in their uh, investor presentations five years ago. And now you can't find one without it. Uh, it's important yeah. to investors and it's important for them, you know, to, to, to be much more responsible. Um, and, you know, like I mentioned earlier, they're taking on a lot of tasks. These major oil companies, you know, like Exxon, you know, are, are, are implementing carbon capture and uh, storage programs, basically capturing the carbon, you know, out of the air and uh, depositing it underground. One interesting thing is once you inject carbon into the ground, it compresses significantly uh, once it reaches the uh, a depth of, uh, I believe it was 1,000 feet uh, to the point where um, these underground caverns or beds can, can hold a significant amount of, of carbon and actually, you know, be, uh, you know, a, a solid storage uh, uh, way. Really? Uh, so yeah. you put a, you put it a thousand feet below the surface and it, it just starts to compress and then you, then it, wow. Yes, correct. Huh. Um, so, you know, so other things these companies are doing, you know, I mentioned uh, the, the flaring has, uh, you know, significantly reduced and, and, and mm -hmm. that is coming, coming a long way. Um, you know, these exploration production companies are, are using a new technology called electric frack fleets, you know, so that helps them lower their carbon footprint if they're using, you know, electric frack fleet versus a diesel operated one. Right. Um, and then I think I mentioned carbon offset projects that so that would include windmills. Ambridge is uh, has has made uh, progressive steps there um, on their wind farms as well as forestation. Do you, what do you think of um, the carbon offsets and like? Do you think we're going to get to like what a carbon credit costs? I mean, are we at the? I mean, does that you know have to be kind of a government mandated thing? I mean, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think it's probably going to have to come from the government if there's if there's any uh, you know mandates on on what a ton of carbon costs. Um, yeah. you know, I think there's I think there's a lot uh, of research that needs to 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 go into I that to, to kind of get a better understanding. Yeah, yeah. All right. Very very cool. All right. Well, I you, uh, go, go ahead. No, go ahead, please. Yeah, but, you know, but but like getting into the carbon offsets, um, you know. The number one best way, you know, to offset, um, you know, your, your carbon footprint is is hands down forestation. 
Yeah. Um, there, there's also other ways. I mean, carbon credits are out there when people can use those to, to you know, hypothetically offset. So basically you buy a, buy a, a credit and let it expire. And that in a sense is, uh, is lowering your, your emissions. So you're taking that carbon hypothetically out of the environment. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta love trees. Yeah, absolutely. You gotta love trees. We, uh, we have a lot of, we're actually called the Oak city here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And, uh, so we've got Oaks, um, all over the place. And, um, yeah, North Dakota, you guys is, is, um, How's the fishing out there? Do you have, you guys, is it like, is it hunting? What, like where you are, is it more hunting or more fishing or both or what's going on out there? I'd say it's pretty balanced. Um, you know, mm. I'm not an avid fisher, but uh, okay. we have a, a lake, uh, Lake Kakawea that's uh, nationwide known, you know, for solid walleye fishing. But really? uh, I'm, I'm, I'm more yeah. uh, of an avid hunter. You I, are, okay. I, what do you like to, um, what do you guys have, like caribou? Um, what the hell do you guys got out there? You guys have massive things, I imagine. Well, we got white-tailed deers. Uh, okay. But but my my favorite's pheasant hunting. Oh, all right, cool. Birds, very thrilling to hunt and absolutely yeah. delicious. Yeah, nice. Now, do you got like the hunting dog and everything and th that whole deal or what's up? Yes, we do. Nice. What kind of dog is that? Is that a pointer or what, what the hell is that? Surprisingly, it's a golden doodle. And, <laughs> get out of there and you can i didn't, I didn't have much expectations for how good of a hunter he would be because they're not really? known for it but poodle breeds are pretty smart and uh yeah. last year last year was his second year hunting uh, kind of his first full year and nice. he did exceptional he did absolutely exceptional he was able to kick up a lot of birds that we would have likely walked by nice well, cool. Yeah, I am not. I mean, I'm a guitar player myself. So that's my kind of hobby, you know, among other than tech golf and stuff. You know, after all, I'm a wealth advisor in Raleigh, North Carolina. So you gotta play golf, you know what I mean? So yeah, <laughs> you can't, absolutely. but uh, yeah, yeah. One but, thing, uh, I've, uh, one thing yeah. I've found with golf, though, is lack of repetition does real harm to one's handicap. <laughs> yes, you have to, you have to get all your bad swings out, Mike. That's what you have to do. You have to focus on getting all your bad swings out. So, uh, yeah, got to swing a lot to get it, get it going. So, well, um, is there any other words of wisdom that you would like to uh, bestow upon us here? Any final comments? Well, I think, you know, when it comes to investing in particularly the energy sector, you have to be disciplined and calculated with how you do it. And, um, you know, looking at, you know, the cyclicality of the energy industry over the past several decades, you know, you can make a lot of money or you can get burned. You know, so we feel the approach that we have taken is going to kind of take a little bit of that cyclicality out of it, you know, as we're investing in, you know, the highest quality companies, um, you know, that, that have proven track records that are good stewards to the at least progressing to become better stewards for the environment, you know, being the energy sector, you know, it's, it's imperative that you take steps there. Uh, and also, you know, when it comes to carbon reduction there is not one single industry that has the potential to do what the energy sector has mm -hmm. when it comes to reduction of their carbon footprint because they are the largest pollutants you know so yeah. you know th they have the the potential to make the biggest impact um, you know when it comes to the overall carbon footprint of the world yeah you know, but getting back to investing in energy and how we do it, you know, our balance approach, you know, with a, a blend of conventionals and renewables, you know, will we'll likely 
I think provide us with an edge over our competitors. And as mm. years progress and renewable technology continues to improve, I would I would assume that renewables will become a larger portion of the portfolio as time goes by. Yeah. Well, I'm. It's going to be interesting to see it play out. I'm. I have a feeling you're right on that. And uh, this was great, man. And I, I would love to do this again. You know, maybe we can uh, review the tape for you know after a year or something like that, and come back and do this again and see what's going on with you guys. But uh, Mike, I really appreciate the time. I really do, and I appreciate the introduction to your company. And I'm sure that our my listeners, our listeners here at Old Rally, are going to dig it. So, um, you know, energy is a big deal. And we, you know, I call this the soundtrack to the financial advisor's life. And what that's basically about is like, is I'd like to give insight to um, our clients and our potential clients on what we listen to. What is a, well, what does a wealth advisor listen to? And one of the things you got to pay attention to is energy. It's such a huge, you know, it runs the whole deal, right? So um, this has been right up that alley and I totally appreciate the time. So listen, keep trucking. It's it's Thursday, okay? It's Thursday. Only one. Wait, you basically you got the couple more hours, and then you got the Friday, and then you're rolling into the weekend. And I'm sure that's going to be awesome. So, thank you. Let's stay in touch, and I appreciate the time. Absolutely, and thank you for having me, Trevor. You, you got it, bud. All right, thanks a lot. That was a fun one with Mike Morey. Um, that was great about energy. You know, one more uh, addition to the podcast to a financial advisor's life. Um, if you live in Raleigh or Durham or Chapel Hill or Cary. And your Google Google searches are things uh, lately have been things like financial advisor near me or financial planner near me or financial uh, fee only financial advisor near me. Uh, maybe you just want to circumvent all that uh, all that searching and just put in old RaleighFinancial.com. That's old with an e at the end. We're we're actually not old, um, but we do love things like old school human connections through conversations because conversations are the root of every long-term relationship. So keep trucking out there. Thank you for listening and we'll see you soon.